Thank you for tuning in to the Supreme Bohemian Podcast. My name is Mallory. And my name is Taisha. And welcome to our third episode where we embody a supreme energy while maintaining a bohemian lifestyle. Yes. And last week we talked about uh, ageism and does your age affect your success or how you view your success. And we've got a lot of really good feedback. Thank you guys yes. for listening. Thank you. I remember one of my sorors said that, you know, she's a millennial professor and she says that, you know, she has just talked about this concept of the idea of ageism where, you know, sometimes older is uh, pitted against young in a sense and young is pitted against older. So she she actually, you know, connected to it because it was something that she was going through or dealing with. Um, during her experiences as working as a university professor. So I was really happy to hear that we actually could connect or could she could relate to what we were talking about. Yes, very yeah. common, very common. Yeah. So uh, we got our question this week, our get-to-know-you question, because it's a lot about us that you're going to want to know. Mallory, go ahead and tell us what the question is going to be. All right. So our question for this week is, who taught you how to drive? Okay, you want to go first or you want me to go first? Um, I'll go first. I'll go first. <laughs> okay. So, um, I feel like in the beginning, it was my my mom and my dad. But my dad, I, I think my mom was kind of nervous and scared. And, yeah. I, and I understand that because I was really young. I think I was like probably like 13, 14, like really just learning how to drive. Mm-hmm. So... I'm going to gear it more to my dad because he really applied pressure on me. Like, all my friends had licenses. Like, where's your license? Like, we need to get you <laughs> on the road. So, I'm going to say my dad on that one. Your dad, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it started out with my... It definitely was never going to be my mom because she, my mom, and women in general, when they teach how to drive, we are so overly emotional or or we react. Mm-hmm. We're, we just react emotionally and shit. So, she was like, starting at the beginning she was trying to be in the car but then she would always be yelling so it was like no Mike can you please take me and can we go right because I'm not gonna deal with this lady you know right. she, she overreacted in the back of, in the a passenger seat so, that was me too I get it <laughs> so my stepdaddy ended up tr- starting to teach me but if anyone knows me like personally you know that ever since I was younger I had a phobia of driving I never mm. thought I was going to get... Oh, I didn't know. I never told you this. No. I never thought I was going to get my license. Ever. I always thought I was going to be taking public transportation or, be gonna take, or going to be getting rides from people. And I did that through most of college. Oh, wow. Um, yes. Like, I had... I was terrified to drive. So, I didn't learn to drive when I was in high school because of that fact. My stepdad would try to teach me, but I wasn't mm-hmm. as determined. And it took me, you know, my senior year, I know that I'm... I'm doing an internship and I have to go to my practicum. I got to go to these schools and I can't rely on people. I've been relying Mm -hmm. on people the whole time. That's partially one of the reasons why I'm so independent now. But I finally (laughs) said, bitch, you got to learn how to drive. So one of my good friends from home, his name is Stefan. He started being patient with me when I would come home from, you know, the, for the winter uh, break. Mm-hmm. holiday break he would you know help me drive and teach me different things and stuff like that and I was comfortable with him because he was just so relaxed and we rode and you know I'm from the country so we got back roads we got like all kinds of roads so you can really learn how to drive with uh 
least the least pressured environment. Right. So he taught me, and then I ended up getting my license in Daytona, and then I got my car like the same month, and I started driving, and I ain't looked back since. Well, <laughs> I never knew that you yeah. you actually got it in college. Wow. Yes, uh, the end me, of college. That was it my, was my yeah. senior year. It was a little before I turned eighteen. I had got my license. So yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. I was I was so fucking scared, like. I, when I say literally me driving and me like going, um, you know, taking road trips and going places by myself, that's a big deal because I was terrified of the highway. I was terrified of just, I was, I was scared of traffic lights. So, traffic and, lights? You know, yes, like I was so scared to like, you know, turn when I was supposed to turn, go straight. I was so fucking scared. Um, like if you know, like people who are with me in college during that time, like my close friends and my family, they know like, it's a big deal for her to be driving because she we thought she never was gonna drive. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. I think for me, I'm not even gonna lie. For me, it was more of like laziness. Yeah. Like okay. um, and then I think my parents were pretty okay with it because my parents was pretty strict with me. So they was like, Well, if she wanna go somewhere, we gotta take her or her friends that we trust being, you know, a driver to take her places, you know, if we all go out to eat or something. Yeah. So they were okay with it. I think it was when I was 17, 18 and my dad was like, alright, man, you really need your license. Like, you're really tripping. You know, it's not that you don't know how to drive. You know how to drive. You know what to do. You're right. comfortable with the road. It's just you're being lazy. So yeah. get your lazy behind up and get your license. Like, <laughs> by the time I got my license, I knew how to parallel park. I know how to do all of that. Everything, yeah. Me, yeah, I remember, like, a few instances of me and my dad driving in Philly. So, yeah, it, it was laziness. It was laziness <laughs> and being complacent. Yeah, oh, my God. That's crazy. Like, driving is a, a very interesting topic. But, um... Uh, we have what would a boheem do, and yeah. you know it was kind of hard this week to find some stuff, but very yeah for both of us because you know we both kind of don't be on social media too much, and this was my week off social media. I'm taking um, my influence from Mallory, you know, <laughs> cleansing myself <laughs> from the internet. But yeah, we end up fi- finding one, and it was um. Very insightful. So the tweet comes from at being Carmen. She Mm -hmm. said, the societal norm is men are tough and are supposed to take care of everything or make, sorry, I'm I'm tripping, or it makes them less than a man. Mm -hmm. Social pressure to do that doesn't allow a moment of weakness. When a man is chivalrous and supportive, it's important to let him know he is appreciated. Hashtag why men need a break. So this has been like a trending topic um, on Twitter this week um, without me knowing. Um, And I really wanted to talk about this because, man, you know, that's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. It's like three points in there that she discussed. And out of reading all of the, uh, you know, not all, but most a lot of the uh, the tweets with this hashtag, I really gravitated towards that one because instead of it being um, something where you were like another male bashing another or man something bashing that was you rose know, eyes, so that was taking something positive and turning it negative, she actually, you know, said everything that we need to say for men. Um, 
I was reading this book and it relates to this topic. I was reading this book by Eric Jerome Dickey. If you know, you know, and it's one of his newest books called um, Before We Were Wicked. And he was talking about how he was like, women think the main character is a male and he was with a woman who got pregnant. He was like, women think it's so easy for us to be the provider. They don't know that how much of a burden it is for us to have to provide for a whole family. And we think about that day in and day out. Like we don't give, even though sometimes that's not necessarily the structure of many homes. Mm -hmm. Still, there is this idea that men are supposed to provide and men are supposed to be like she said, strong and take care of everything. And if they don't, it makes them less than a man. So we don't realize all of that pressure. We're always talking about our emotions and how men treat us certain ways, but we also have to look at how we treat them in the, in the same token. Like same, yeah. it, it's, it's not like we'll say, this is what we'll say. We'll say, yeah, we want men to be emotional. We want men to be, to, to be, uh, have a balance of masculine and feminine energy. But when he does display these things, you shun him or mm-hmm. you make him feel like he less than a man or he a bitch, or he a pussy, or whatever you, like, a lot of women do that. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. you go towards the men who are identified the most masculine, and those are the ones you go to, but the actual men who are actually, you know, have a great balance, we look at them as less than a man when they show that other side of, of themselves. And I just be like, you know, I welcome all the artsy black men into my life. <laughs> all the ones who have a balance of masculine and feminine energy because I love it. Please come to me. I ain't right. gonna make you feel like <laughs> less right. Than but what you think about it? Um, I don't know. I feel like um, well, I a thousand percent agree. And with that tweet, I just for me it's a breath of fresh air because sometimes, yeah. like you said, I do get tired of the man bashing tweets. Um, we do realize that there are men out here that ain't shit. Um, that is true. But mm-hmm. we need to shed light on men out here that are about their business. And when they are in a relationship, it's a team effort. And you're not, we are, we're well aware of, you know, being in a relationship with someone that is not that dedicated where you're pulling all the work emotionally, economically, and what have you. We know these men exist. Um, But we also need to shed light to different type of men that don't fit that because Mm -hmm. they're out here and they do exist. Um, So I feel like that was important. But I... It is... It's hard. Yeah, it is hard to... Like, let's not front. It's still hard because you got to also, okay, we we completely agree, you know, yeah. with that idea. Like, when we meet a good man, we, we appreciate him, we support him, we, we, you know, speak life into him. But when you are constantly being, mm-hmm. like, bombarded with bad examples of men, it makes it hard to to kind mm-hmm. of have faith in men. And that's the, that's the opposite end of that poll. Yes, men yeah. should be should be emotional. Should should be nurturing. Should be all of. Should have the feminine qualities and masculine qualities as women should have, in my opinion. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, it is. It can be a narrative created because you created the narrative. You created the mar- the narrative, and you chose to date a certain type of people. And honestly, True. a lot of women do choose uh, the lower ladder 
of men. I'm being honest. Yeah. Like, they really do. So, yeah, you're going to be on social media complaining, saying things about men, secret lives, all these things. Because at the end of the day, you know, you chose to date a certain (laughs) caliber of men because you're so focused on, you know, the roughneck, the the um, the form, the the highest form of aggression as Mm -hmm. opposed to being with a man who is balanced, who is willing to be in a team effort with you as opposed to you carrying every everything and doing everything um it's it's a tough one it's a tough one yeah because it's it's, it's so many sides and that's the thing about this podcast it's like Mm -hmm. we're gonna always we want to try to visit every uh, as many perspectives as we are aware of yeah and not just be so one-sided with stuff because this is an amazing tweet and it talks about how and, we should appreciate men, but it's some also some shit, you know. I'm gonna shoot straight. Sis. Go ahead. I feel like those men really aren't appreciated at all. Like yeah. at all. I feel like they're not. Um, I feel like women, some women, <laughs> most Just women say, I know. All right, <laughs> fuck it. Like most women I know, I feel like you know when they get a dude who is of the lower caliber. They're will they do all this work they come you know they complain but they mm-hmm. do it you know what I'm saying they're okay with a ninety a ninety ten relationship but when they meet someone who is willing to be on their level and be on a a partnership or even take over the reins and make sure you have everything it's the mentality of He's my bitch who do whatever I say. Oh, stupid like bitches! That. Stupid bitches! I don't like sorry. that. I that, hate that. That's a bottom bitch and mentality. That makes, sorry, I'm gonna be honest, and people may not like me saying that, but that makes men that are good men not want to do for women. You know, just what I'm saying? like you said society, on the Yeah, society can make a man a really someone who is naturally a good man who is naturally a good person flip to being ain't shit because when they are about all about their woman or all about making things right it's like the woman almost acts like she runs them or she owns them or she may not have or she doesn't even work as hard to make it a team player effort because she's complacent and her ways and her feet are up while he's the one off the work. And, and that's and just And also, not fair. in addition to that, like, he, he, just like a woman should choose, he should choose. You don't need to be with a woman that undermines your value. Like, don't, if you see this woman is, is talking to you any kind of way, not being appreciative of your chivalry and of your support, mm-hmm. like, uh, cancel that bitch. Like, yeah, I'm sorry, cancel just her. cancel her. Like, it's just let her go. Like, yeah. it's just like about, like everyone says, choosing people who like you. Choosing, if a person likes you, they're going to want you to have a good day, mm-hmm. basically, at the most basic idea. You like somebody, you want them to have a good day. So that means you're going to contribute to them having a good day or not contribute to them having a bad day. And that means you're going to be a good person and you're going to take a think about their feelings and their emotions and not just see them as this, this mm-hmm. fake idea. People look at men as this I'll fake idea them. and people do the same thing with How women. Like we do that with women. We do that with men. Mm-hmm. We create these structures and we don't see the human. Like you have to understand that you're dealing with a human 
with the with emotions and with feelings and all of that Mm -hmm. like women we have to just as much as we say that men aren't doing what they're supposed to do as women we need to check ourselves as well you know it's some women out here making it hard for women who actually care and it's some men out here making it hard for men who actually care so let's you know, be better yeah. people. That, yo, <laughs> that's true. I, I agree with that. I, uh, it's also funny, because while you were speaking, a scenario popped in my head where you know how a woman is with a dude, and it's like we, everyone knows he ain't really about nothing. He probably don't even care that much about the relationship. He feel like the relationship is disposable. And she'll go out of her way to ask him how's his day, and how's yeah. he feeling. But if it's somebody who, like, does right by the relationship and stands on it you probably some of these women don't even know or remember the last time they asked that man how was his day or she probably don't remember the last time she even catered to him where it wasn't fully focused on fulfilling a need just for her but only specifically for him and that's that's an issue that's, That's the bad the guy complex. Yeah, you want the bad is. guy, and then when you get the bad guy, you cry, cry wolf. Like he wanted <laughs> the bad guy, so you got the bad guy. So you need to get your stupid ass off Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and realize that this is partially your issue. You created this monster. You Everyone... allowed it. I just don't understand. <laughs> women, for the most part, kind. Of, I ain't gonna lie. Women get on my nerves a little bit <laughs> because I feel like women be like most women unaware of what they really are feel unaware they and they all for the most part want the same type i want exactly. a dude that's a little street but he's smart and knowledgeable and he did i'm Shut not saying that those fuck. dudes don't exist because they do but you have to understand it's not many of them it's so y'all and y'all are so attracted to the uh, or even the oh yeah i love when he yell at me i love when he cuts me out that shit is like a turn off pussy on dry. Sorry. <laughs> like I just I'm just I'll just sit there and be like, honestly, I hate that. Like me, you I can not be a cutoff. At me. I could Sorry. be a cutoff person. I could be a cutoff person and I'll just like, you know what? This is not who I need to be with. Straight Even up. if you raise your voice, I'm okay with it if it's off of passion. But if you're yelling at me, cussing me out calling me out my name and all that i'm sorry that's unacceptable and my parents when i was reformed yeah he started cussing he not cussing but he started yelling at me like he was really yelling at me turning up we were doing we were doing a project together and he was getting so mad at the way that i was thinking versus the way that he was thinking about it i ended up being right but he's so like stubborn and he was yelling at me, and I was just like, listen, I'm not going to do I don't have to do this. I think I love. Like, I just love, like, sir. You did the right thing. What the fuck? Like, because it's, it's so many ways. Like, before you get to that level, it's so easy to just be like, let me calm myself down. It, it, people make it seem mm-hmm. like it's super, super hard, but it's not. Because most mm-hmm. of the time, you're mad about something simple. But, like, the in, in, in the scope of what we were saying, that bad stuff, is in a turn on when you're mature. When you're young and when you are immature in the way that you view people, mm-hmm. yeah, you want to a uh, guy like that. Like, I be always saying, girls be wanting to get flued out. Girls be wanting all these certain types <laughs> of things. Girls be wanting somebody to pay their bills and do all this type of stuff. 
and stuff like that. But they also want somebody who care about their emotions. Sorry, boo-boo. When you uh-uh. have all of that in a man specifically and he's doing all of these certain things for you, uh-huh. the, the stereotypical version of that guy is not one who is, is harnessed in his emotions and who's aware of his emotional uh, maturity. He's not there. He's most of the time want to be a provider only and doesn't care about your feelings and certain things. Mm-hmm. He's doing it as a transactional thing, just like you. So it's just like you want these guys, but what what are you saying? If you want this type of guy, then what comes with that territory? Are you willing to deal with that? Or you're, or even if you're with someone who is genuinely, you know, that falls in that good guy role and does all these things, I'm sorry, it's understandable to become resentful. It, of, of your girl because Please. she's not pulling okay. any fucking weight at all and you're doing everything like it's I feel like that is normal to be I resentful. hate that I hate that and it's, I feel it's like normal when it's you like start you can't feeling get mad resent. and I blame sometimes I blame some people's upbringing yeah. because they're taught to be what is called a kept woman Ooh, and to only be taken care of. That goes about today. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then I will. That goes straight I into that. it. I will table that. But yes, um, a lot of it does come from upbringing and being told that this is how things are supposed to be for you as a woman. Perfect. So you walk up with kind of this attitude even even down when it comes to the standard of dating, we, we already spoke about the relationship aspect. Yeah, yeah. But for dating, I don't believe, I feel like just how you feel, women feel like certain things need to be earned. Like maybe you feel that way about sex or maybe you feel that way about cooking for a man or all these things. I feel like a dude is not entitled to take you out on a very luxurious first date nope, dinner. So I don't not. believe that. because imagine if a dude is really genuinely trying to find a a girlfriend a a a soulmate or a mate or whomever you finna shake the table oh my gosh you're gonna you finna spend so much money courting someone number one probably doesn't like him number two probably got him in his phone as free food yeah it's a waste of money it's a waste of money and it's a waste of time. So, yes, it is understandable when the on the first date or on the first length up, a dude may want to go out for ice cream or let's go walk around the park. Thank you. Because he may want to sort you out before he puts any of his finances. And that's a smart man. I'm exactly. Be, that's a and that's the type man. of man that goes far in life. Mm-hmm. Because it is all assets. Like, are you gonna be an asset? If you're not gonna be an asset, then why am I spending all this goddamn money on you? <laughs> like, what the fuck? And you, Sorry, all of you investment. bitches. Um, and I say the word bitchy. Y'all already know. Mm-hmm. All of you bitches think that you are worth this type of stuff. But no, if you're not emotionally mature, you don't deserve certain things. Mm-mm. People out here trying to find wifey, and you out here thinking that every dude that you meet on Tinder, on Bumble, on all of them places, that <laughs> is gonna take you out on a five-star date. No. no, I prefer creativity over finances anyway. I prefer yeah. a guy to think about the date, be 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 like, you know, innovative, a little bit innovative, and think about the date. And I like, what I really like is when a guy spends the least amount of money but gives the dopest experience. Like a, because, pig, like a, like a you know, a, a picnic downtown and a park. Like I feel a like cooking class. Cold. A cooking class. Fun. Going to, a, going to a juice bar that you've never been to. Like, yes. little things like that. 
as opposed it's easy i feel like in a way it's it's easy to take someone out to eat easy and that's the like that's the big dinner in the movie is the most basic idea and that's Mm -hmm. the thing when guys are being chivalrous and they are really being good men you have to be appreciative and realize that you are not entitled to anything just because you got mm-hmm. a vagina between your legs and not does not make you entitled boo boo and when you learn that you learn the keys to the game so now we're gonna <laughs> <laughs> keys to the game i like that <laughs> we're gonna move on girl we're gonna on, move on we'll, we'll be on that all night okay because I mean, we all have day. to take we're gonna have to we're going to have to talk about that in another episode. Though. Yeah, we're going to have that. to yeah. write that down. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, uh, our next segment is your inner supreme. And this topic, um, the topic of this episode will be managing relationship with parents as an adult. So, we, are, you know, relationships with parents are birthed from childhood. And Sometimes when from, you know, you're a child, then you become a teenager and then you become a young adult and then you become a full grown adult with real life responsibilities. Right. Um, some of those uh, characteristics of the re- of the relationship that you have with your parents um, carries from childhood into yeah. your adulthood. So with this with this um segment we kind of want to ask a few questions and have more of more of an open dialogue because Mm -hmm. there are so many it's not a one-size-fit awesome for situ for everyone's situation when it comes to parents some people is their best their parents are their best friends Mm -hmm. you know they they now smoke and drink together you know some people are heavily reliable you know rely yeah, or dependable, 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 um, or dependent rather. When it comes to their parents, some people fear their parents to this very day. They yeah. can't even tell their parents certain things because they fear what they may say. Um, or the one that is I constantly see on Twitter, where the parents are their biggest enemies. There's a lot of toxic um, conflict between the two parties. So it ranges. Mm-hmm. Um, it sure does, yeah. So I think the first question that I want to tackle is, what are some things, as an adult with parents, what are some things that you keep in order to keep the relationship positive and solid? And the second question will be something, what are some things that we do away with? Because there is, it's baggage, it's old, or you want to leave it behind, or you want to start anew. So hmm. let's tackle that. Hmm. What are some things I keep? Some well, things we keep as the first one. Uh, well, with me, um, from the, okay. I feel like my relationship with my, and I'm going to speak on my mom first and then on my dad. My, my relationship with my mom really began and it became real when I went to college. You know, when you're young, um, it's not necessarily, if you're parented in a certain way, you do have that actual relationship. But when you're young and you are, are still a child and still living in their household, it kind of is not what I would call a, a equal re- relationship, of course. So okay. it's kind of, for me, it was 
the relationship began when I went to college. So once I went to college, um, you know, you're an adult and you're, you can see things now because you're experiencing mm-hmm. different people from different places and you're having your own experiences. So initially when I first started seeing and was aware of certain things with my parent, my mom, uh, I would always, um, well, one thing I kept doing was I was the child who was outspoken and I was always around the grown people. I was always around adults. And so <laughs> I was always like, I was kind of wise before my time and like very, I was very intuitive. And um, so I could kind of like read an adult in five, in like five seconds. Well, dang. <laughs> like, uh, and you know, and uh, when I look at it, I mean, it was who I was, but I, I wouldn't want a child like that, you know, (laughs) when I think about, you know, like I wouldn't want, so Mm -mm. I kind of was very like, um, wasn't disrespectful, but was very like, I know what's going on. But then when I got older, I really knew what was going on. So what I would do was insert my opinion often, like all the time, insert my opinion. And that was something I always did. And that wasn't just with parents. And I had to learn to stop doing that. I'm still learning to stop. So I would insert my opinion into a lot of things that were happening with my mom and things she was doing, things she was experiencing. Mm -hmm. And that took a toll on our relationship because it always felt like I was being, um, I was the judgmental one or I was the one uh, always chastising. And it's like the roles flipped of me being, instead of being the child or the daughter, I felt like the parent. So, um, mm. I had to really like do away with that because it was fucking with my sanity, like stuff, something happened at home and I'm calling home like, well, what, what is going on? As if I'm the like disciplinarian or I'm the matriarch or something like that. And it was just like the roles naturally led themselves. And that's what you have to pay attention to. If you don't pay attention to your relationships with anyone or specifically with parents, the role will naturally continue to be what it was always what it was always at. So where it was when I was a child continued and I realized I couldn't continue that same idea as an adult and and having an adult relationship with my parents. So, because we were never going to get along, it was always going to be toxic. And um, so I had to stop doing that. And for my sake, there's other things on the other side that needed to stop being done. But for me, I knew I had to stop taking on all of that energy and the burden of what was happening with my parents or at home and kind of focus on how can I be present in this relationship without trying to fix and solve and and tell about and and chastise, whatever. So I I did away with that. And what I uh, kept was, I guess... um, my discernment. I still kept my discernment for situations like instead of always, well, this is what I would do or you shouldn't be doing this. I would just listen and that's it. Okay. <laughs> or I would like, um, I would tell my mom or, or how I felt about something and then just like you, I would just be more productive with it instead of like combative and mm-hmm. trying to, to maintain the role of the fixer and not saying it's perfect now or it's actually completely functioning because it's not, but I feel like once I took away that burden from myself and once I realized that it's not my job to fix anything, I um I really just stopped worrying 
about it and it didn't give me it doesn't give me as much stress as it did uh a couple years ago a couple okay so i think that's what i've done okay so for me um some things that i keep i keep um i keep an open line of communication with my parents um i feel like it's important because like my parents aren't like senior citizens or nothing like that, but they're getting mm-hmm. older and everyone is going their separate ways. Cause my parents are divorced. So everyone is on their own path. Mm-hmm. Honestly. So one thing I do keep is that, um, I know that more around middle school, definitely within high school, I became more opinionated, um, I became more of a voice because uh, when I was younger, I really wasn't, I was very emotional, um, very, I, I was a very easily overwhelmed child. So back then my voice was crying, um, emotional expression of like, in a, like showing things expressing it in such a frustrating way that I would start crying. Like I was always that little girl. So when I got older, um, I'm not going to say that I shook all of that. It's just, I was introduced to the mindset that everything doesn't have to be, um, super emotional. It's okay to say things logically, with a strong voice, without looking down, like, just, yeah. I really had to learn that, um, I don't even think it was just, I don't think it was low self-esteem, I just think that some children are just easily overwhelmed, and I definitely know that when I have kids one day, and they have, and, you know, they show those type of characteristics, I definitely will guard them with my life, yeah. um, so that's, that, some, that's one thing that I've, definitely uh done away with another thing that i keep uh let's see what's another thing that i keep i keep a i keep note of knowing that kind of what you expanded upon last week that my parents are human yeah so i try not to there was a point where i was blaming my parents for certain things that because I, I grew up in a sheltered home and I and my parents were way more strict with me. I feel I feel like it's the first child complex mm-hmm. where your parents are more strict with you as the first child than they are with the second. My, my sister was able to get away with more. Um, and I think because they maybe they realize, you know, when I you got older, that big of a deal, we it tripping. wasn't that deep. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So, and when you look at it from their perspective, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah. We always looked at, at everything as like, we're the victim. You did this to me. But no, like my parents were whole ass humans. Yeah. They were parents for the first time. Time. Yeah. And so <laughs> it's like, I can't, I can't indict them for that. So yeah. um, I've, I've learned to let that go because I didn't like resent them or anything like that but Mm -hmm. I guess in college I was so frustrated because college was really a new world for me because I was Mm -hmm. out of out of the house I was in a whole nother city I was in a whole nother county so a lot of things I learned for myself by myself and 
I did not blame my parents that much for it because they felt like they did what they could, you know? Yeah. So I, I let thing, go yeah. of that. I, love, I let go of that. Always having to realize that your parents are not your only teachers. They're just your first teachers. And we expect for them to have told us everything, to warn us about everything, and to, you know, a one human being does not have that much capacity. Two human beings don't. Life will have to teach you some certain things. Like, I remember when I was younger, uh, I would say around middle school, high school, my mom was very, like, like I would say my upbringing was the opposite of yours. I could um, I could kind of do whatever I want. I had a best friend, which is still my best friend now. And we kind of like, we were best friends since fourth grade. So we always, we started staying over each other's house when we were younger. So that was always a safety net for our parents. We knew that they, they knew that we were safe because we were with each other. And it was like a familiarity thing. So, oh, she's with, she's with Crystal, so it's good. Or if she with Tay-Tay, so it's good. So they do okay. it or whatever. So we kind of played on that. And mom, if you listening, Miss Thomasina, if you listening, <laughs> hopefully y'all not listening. But hopefully you are. Shit, some viewership or listenership. Yeah. But if you are listening and realize that we got away with a lot of stuff because y'all trusted that we were together. We did some things, but being being the being though that we had that much freedom, man, me and my best friend learned so much to the point where when we got to college, we were not phased. Like I yeah. didn't start I didn't start drinking and smoking till maybe my junior, no, not even maybe till my junior year of college because I was already not drinking, already smoking, but I was already like, I've seen Introduced. all of this stuff. So I'm not like, this doesn't intrigue me. So I, I do feel like during that time, I focused more on my study. So I was like, I was set and I was solidified in junior year. I didn't have junior, senior, I didn't have to work as hard. But some people fucked up, you know, during freshman year, sophomore year, because everything was new to them. Thank God my mom was the type of mom that, and and this necessarily, she probably didn't plan it. You know, she mm-hmm. probably didn't mean to be that. Maybe, and it was some things that was within her that allowed her to be kind of a, a backseat mom in a sense, because I kind of just explored. But it allowed me the space to find what was for me and what was not for me. And I always thank her for that. Like I always thank my mom for that. My mom, my mom gave me music. If it wasn't for mom, I wouldn't have this amazing, you know, music, uh, musical palette, musical palette. Because what right. my mom was listening to, the things she was wearing, like she grew up in the eighties, going into the nineties, the hairstyles, all this. My mom gave me culture, so I yeah. can't. Like, yeah, there's some stuff that I wish. That's how I feel about mom. Yeah. So. There's some shit that maybe I wish that I had, but at the same time, this is your only mom. And I was telling that to myself the other day. I was like, man, yeah, your mom, this is this is this, this is this with your mom, and this is that with your mom, but that's your only mom. While you have her, while you have her, fuck all the bullshit. Like, enjoy your mom. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. same thing with my dad. Like, my dad, you know, just um, yeah. for context, because my relationship with him was very different <laughs> from the relationship with my mom. My dad was in uh, in prison from since I was like eleven, well, up until I was eleven. So I'm wow. I was writing him letters, you know, throughout that time and stuff like that. And I I was getting to know him through words, you know. I didn't really know him through phone calls and through letters. So you know, we had our relationship and we learned like how to how to coexist and how to love each other 
And it's the same thing with my mom. I I was always that child who was saying, you are 20-something years old. You are this years old. You need to get it together to my parents. Right. <laughs> wow. Because I was so aware of their mis, mis, mistakes. I was so aware of like how abnormal what they were doing was because mm-hmm. I had examples of what was normal. So, like, when my, you know, they used to do certain things, when my dad used to do certain things, I was like, listen, like, if it, I, my dad would have never changed if it wasn't for me. If it wasn't for me and my constant, like, so that's a good thing. Accountability. Accountability at a young age. And my brother coming, my, him having my brother, he would have never, you know, started living up to his potential. So it's like, you know, it's weird. That's why I remember, like, when you started this conversation, you said it's it's more dialogue because it's so different for everybody because mm-hmm. it's, like, we're humans and our experiences are so different. So I would just say, kind of give your parents the, um... Give them give grace. Give them the grace because it's hard to be a parent. It <laughs> is. a lot. Yeah. It is. I, I definitely agree with that. Like, I think for me, um, growing up, I was always a daddy's girl, you know, and that, I mean, I feel that from birth, I don't know. It's like, um, it's like a divine energy, you know, with me and my dad. So, but that when I got older and certain things happened to me in college and through college is certain conversations I couldn't have with my dad. Yeah. And my mom stepped right on in and in a way we formed our own, relationship through that not off of like through struggle but her being there her being mother hen and making sure that I'm good and I think that for me I I don't know about her I would have to ask but for me I feel like that was the start of a really close a closer bond because we weren't we weren't really that, like, when I was younger, like, as a child, we weren't, like, super, super close back then. Um, my mom, I feel like, was way more closer to my sister. And they could have had a stronger divine presence between them, you know. Mm-hmm. And when I was younger, you know, I would feel sad about it. Or I would, you know, look, I would look. I would look at myself as if something was wrong with me, but yeah. as I gotten older, I don't, I no longer feel um, upset or any type of res- like resentment or any type of negative energy about it as much. I'm not gonna lie, I'm still working on it. Yeah. Um, because it is, it was, it. I don't know. Some things are just, some things just happen that way. And Mm -hmm. I have no explanation for it. I can't explain why. I mean, I know I'm a Zodiac person, so I could get into that bag. And I feel like that's part of the reason. That is part Um, of the reason. My sister is a Sag and my mom is a Leo. And And my sister is a Leo. Right. And my dad is a a Capricorn. My dad is a Capricorn and I'm an Aquarius. My dad is an Aquarius. Yeah, so it's like some things just you just can't really explain it, you know. And I, I, I'm just the older I get, I'm 26. I'll be 27 in February. I just, you know, I'm learning. It's still a transition, so I'm not gonna speak like I have it all together. But I'm learning and really trying my best to give grace to 
to both parents, you know, yeah. especially my mom. Me and my dad were always close, but my mom, I'm just learning to give more grace. And other family members that I may not be cool with. Some people, I'm not going to lie, you know, I I wrote them off. It mm-hmm. is what it is. But um, certain family members, you know, I am open to reopening a door. It may not be as transparent and as close as it was before, but I guess I'm just trying to shake that feeling of feeling like I have to be completely done with people because that is honestly a toxic trait that I have. So, <laughs> you know, you know what, uh, what you, one of the things you said reminded me of, um, mm. it reminded me of something Maya Angelou said. Uh, she was saying that um, her mother was a whore, not, and just relating, not completely your story. Okay. She said her mother was not a good mother of little kids, but a great mother of uh, um, a young adult, a child, uh, an adult. So she was like the like as a child when she when Maya Angelou was a child, she had said her mother was not good, was horrible. Mm-hmm. But Maya ended up getting with a guy and ended up getting kidnapped by this guy. And this is real. This is Maya Angelou's story. She wow. ended up getting kidnapped by the guy. She her mother found her. And this is why she's like a teen, right? Like, uh, you know, as a teenager. A teenager. Um, yeah. Her mother found her. Like, literally came to where the dude was at. Uh, found found them. Got got her daughter. How many mothers are going to do that? Uh-uh. You're kidnapped by this man. Mother found her. And next thing she knows, the man that did that stuff to her, they killed him. You know? And, you wow. know, that's that's where I, the, I know why the case burst. Uh, scene came from because she she stayed silent for seven years because she felt like she was uh it was her fault of that death so she didn't speak anymore because her speaking caused this man to die in her young mind so um her mother became like as she got older a pivotal part of her life because you have to think sometimes people have preferences sometimes people have energies that work better with certain things Mm -hmm. I feel that like when you said your mom y'all didn't have that relationship when you were younger but as you got older she fit right in when you needed her that's exactly what it is with parenting like it is we we really like like you said a god complex of with parents we kind of like fantasize and have this mm-hmm. fantasy of what parenting really is because we, we watch all these movies with like white people and these romanticized <laughs> uh, these romanticized parent relationships that are not even real in their households mm-hmm. and we create these fallacies in our mind but really parenting is one of the most it's complex and layered types of things pa- the parent and child relationship and it does not always make sense and it's not always rooted in I like you it some most of the time it's rooted in I love you and I don't like you. Like yeah, and you, that's the reality. That's the reality. That's you can a have reality. a child and not like your child. And mm-hmm. I'm gonna be honest, you've seen that. We've seen that. Mm-hmm. Just because it came from you doesn't mean you like its characteristics. Because you gotta, in my opinion, and from what I feel about the world, we re- we spirits come in through. And I'm getting into another another spirit. Just another stay bag. with me. But spirits choose the path and the vessel that they come in through mm-hmm. and it, sometimes it's not a, always a familiar vessel we choose the family we we come through but you also ha- are working with that spiritual and kar- karmic energy that is different and there are going to be some actions or reactions that don't make sense and have to balance out later so no that that 
wow you said you said a lot you, oh, you just shit. said a lot with that <laughs> I, I I think the reason why I say you say a lot is because um I've, I've already explained that when I was younger you know I was very hyper emotional um always feeling overwhelmed and I'm not giving excuses because I feel I still have my sentiments when it comes to that as far as parenting um but it is a reality that just maybe it maybe they didn't know how to handle that that's Absolutely. that's different that is not a normal thing um even you know sometimes when i talk to my dad he does apologize even with us being close he apologizes because he feels like you know he should have been more attentive to that um but I mean, time you know, went ooh, on, you ooh. move on, and wow. it's not, it's, all I can do is, I'm not a parent, I don't know what it is to have a child, but all I can do is, is I know what, I know those, I know, and I'm aware of the characteristics of a child that falls in line with who I was, mm-hmm. so all I can do is just nurse that, not nurse it, but nurture it, because it is a feeling, and sometimes in the black community we um anyone that is hyper emotional be it uh, a young little girl or a little boy you know we tend to shut up or i'll give you something to cry about yeah we tend to um dismiss it it um Mm -hmm. one biggest thing for me that is still i'm really getting into myself this episode that is still a trigger for me (laughs) to this day is being called a crybaby i almost want to snuff anybody that calls me a crybaby because it's like is is this is so dismissed the word is so dismissive to me because a crybaby from how i see it cries about things that they don't even know they're crying about. They just know they're upset and they want attention and they want this. Where every time, even to this day, of me being frustrated, me crying, me feeling overwhelmed, it all served. It, it was all for a reason. And I knew what time it is and what time it was. And I knew each reason every time. So yeah. I'm going to always be bothered by by being called that because it was called so many. I was called that so many times growing up. So now, like, by the time I was a teenager and definitely as a young adult, I get really defensive. No, ain't nobody going to call me no crybaby. Right, You're right. wildin'. Like, that's that how I used to look that, at it. It has, it's just crazy. Um, I was, I like, it's crazy how whatever you are experiencing informs your later decisions or your conversations or whatever. So I'm reading a Toni Morrison book called Sula. And um one of my faves. Yes. And she uh one of the parts that I kind of really was like, wow. Um the one of the daughters in the in the story was like her name was Hannah. She asked her mother Eva, did you ever really love her? And she was like, Well, I guess not. No, not in the way that you is you thinking about. And then the mom got kind of and, and then once she said that, the daughter was like, Okay, I just wanted to know. And then the mom was like, you know what? Honestly, um, uh, it wasn't uh, basically saying in a sense like uh, black people was dying left and right in 1895 nobody had time to be thinking about uh, fucking playing with you and, and being an emotional mm-hmm. parent when they trying to survive and certain things like that she was like love she was like you, you she's like you all healthy healthy and well fed basically now so you have the basic you have the space and the comfort to be able to ask me a question like that 
to because back in those days it was all survival Mm -hmm. you couldn't you don't have the space to ask somebody about their goddamn emotions i don't got time to be playing playing with you when all i got is three beats to my name i'm trying to go out and figure out how i can get a full meal so Mm. you know it's that it's that idea it's just that our we have to look at with especially in the black community um not give not give motherfuckers uh uh excuses but realize the times mm-hmm. and like the times a lot black people just finally just checked in let's just be honest we just yeah. we just checked in as a people we just finally had a breath a breath we are exhaling as we speak we have been holding our breath for about five centuries yeah almost five centuries holding our breath surviving and we are finally we've just gotten to a place because of the work that we've done, we finally got to a place where we can breathe a little bit easier little bit and easier. ask questions. And that's where that's how that's when you look at the generation before you, which is your parents, and you wonder, well, dang, why my mom wasn't like coming to my mm-hmm. to my uh, after like coming to certain things to my events for me? Why my mom wasn't tucking me in at night, reading me a bedtime story? Why mm-hmm. my mom? Why we weren't going to places as a family? Blah 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 blah. Because motherfuckers were still in survival mode and motherfuckers didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. it's just, it's when you realize that as an adult, you kind of like realize, oh, fuck, I'm, even, I'm sorry. Like, I don't, I understand. I don't even want to burden you with that idea because I realize you did the best that you could do with me. Yeah. It's, that it's, is so true. That, that's true. I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm still working on that because I hard. do have another side where it's like, but you got to figure it out Absolutely. because you have, you brought a child into this world and I'm not saying that you have to be perfect, um, but it you have to find that it is your duty at some point in time to try to understand and nurture that. And that's because where this is a now. I have they to have take to do a, that. Yeah. yeah, because I have to take into an account, we have to take into account that what you just gave was an excerpt that was, she explained from the 1800s and the problem that I'm what I'm critical about actually is how people who were born in the 1960s 1970s still carried that on to our 80s and 90s babies yeah because shit was fucking fucked yeah (laughs) they were still dying left right you know it's it's just so much as as a people that Mm -hmm. I always try to give our people some grace when I see certain things because it's like, man, if it was another people, they wouldn't have made it through four four centuries. Like, oh, no. it, 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 it is the strength of our people. And in that strength, the defenses that we build, there's no time for emotions. And we have masked our emotions because when you think, when we went out to the actual world, mm-hmm. we had to mask who we were. We had to kind of close up and bottle up who we were as a people. And when we get home, we so frustrated. So many things can happen. We can seek refuge in our home or we can throw, uh, you know, take out all of our frustrations on our home. And that yeah. just depends on how much you have chose as a person to evolve in the times that you are in. And if you're aware that you need to evolve. Yeah. Like, it's just so much. It, are, is my parent even aware that there's work need, that needs to be done? Are they even in that mystical, like, in their... Mm-hmm. Are they in that capacity? Like, they do they even know? And that's like, that's what I, that's what was my job. I felt I had to let my parent be aware so they know, like, stop fucking off, 
stop playing. Like my mom knows certain things now. She know like stop playing. You are mm-hmm. not being aware of what you're doing right now. Same thing with my dad. You're not being aware. And I think that's what our place as a generation has been to give the awareness and the consciousness to our parents who have been not breathing and just Mm -hmm. going through the motions for these years. And I think like, it's not, I I do feel like right now it's, it's their time to become more emotionally mature and more mentally mature because they didn't have that luxury as much as they would should have had. Mm Mm-hmm. They I, yeah. they don't they didn't have that luxury. So now that they have a little bit more comfortability in their lives, now we can. I feel like I love the fact that I can open my mom's eyes to certain things, or I can help her talk through certain things. Like, like I want to be that vessel for my mom to get uh, if if that's what's necessary, you know, to get to a certain place, or for my dad to get to where they need to be mentally, mm-hmm. emotionally, like. It yeah, shit happened in the past. We and they had to acknowledge it. If they didn't acknowledge it, that's a completely different story. But my parents have acknowledged everything in the past. Luckily, yeah. luckily, and now we're moving forward. So I'm not bringing up everything from your past no more. You've acknowledged it. You've apologized. Where do we move forward? And that's where, as a child, that that's where you become the person that has to be mature and to not and to not stay in the past. And yeah. to realize if your parent has the knowledge, I did not do well in this area, but I want to do better. Stop reminding them of what they did not do and just continue to love on them and they you. So it's it's just that and kind even, of thing. And even that is not easy. That oh, yeah. is not easy because, um, you know, we're we're in our late 20s. Mm-hmm. So that means that if you hit that revelation now with your parents, you still have. 20 years where it was something different then. Yeah. So it's going to take some homework on both parties to really be fully pulled out of it. Cause sometimes you'll get an apology and then you don't get the action behind it. So that's where you are kind of mm. stuck in the forgiving phase. You're always, you're always going to be on stage one Absolutely. because the homework after the word I'm sorry isn't done. Exactly. So it, it's a team effort. Like yep. I'm glad it's you deeper said than that. that I'm sorry because I get I've gotten a lot of I'm sorry just in life in general. And then I see the follow up action being the exact same thing that you said you were once sorry for. So I can't I I hold value Ooh. in apologies because it, it honestly depends on a person. It depends. It, it, it depends on who you are, and if I know how solid you are. But sometimes it is hard to hear the word "I'm sorry" and process it as something that you're willing to forgive and forget, as you just said. Because oh, yeah. the sorry holds no value when two months, three months, six months, a year later, it's like back at stage one it's I, like I it, it's like the sorry never happened i agree like for just for speaking on my experience exactly related to that okay i've gotten sorry uh apologies from things that happened in the past mm-hmm. so because no i'm no longer there like of course i and you really get that you did what you what you did was wrong I can, you know, accept that and we can move forward. But there are still things that are happening in the present mm-hmm. <laughs> that 
are unacceptable and these are the things that we are constantly working on because or it hopefully we are working on but there man (laughs) man like i just some things with my parents like never-ending cycles (laughs) it's just like and oh that's a good point sometimes your parents are going to be in a loop what if they never get better what if they never fix it huh Um, what type of what type of conclusion do you have to draw for yourself to be sane and to be okay with that you you literally have to when you confront an issue with your parents, you have to come into the situation with the mindset that either things are going to go right and this is going to be a seed that grows into a beautiful tree over time, or you'll, number one, probably never get the apology that you deserve. Yep. Or number two, you feel as though, even though you heard the word sorry, it wasn't the action didn't lead up to the word and you're done with it like I said I'm still working on in life I don't I don't do this to my parents because where we're at you know relationship wise both my parents but me personally I am someone that you are forever you are forever a dub in my life like if I'm done with someone I'm not, and I'm talking about, this is not just romantically, friendship-wise, hangout-wise, associate-wise, I will really be done with you. Like, I will never speak to you again. And that is a hard thing to swallow when it comes to your parents, but some people, parents are just that set in their ways. Because by the time you have this conversation, you're probably in your late 20s, and Mm -hmm. your parents are in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and even some in their 70s. Mm-hmm. So people are very set and settled within their ways. Um, you have to you have to release it. I'm be honest, you're going to have yep. to release it. And I'm glad you said that because that's where I am with mm-hmm. my with both my parents. Um, I recognize that there's a, there are things beyond my control, beyond my understanding that I have nothing to do with. Yeah. And I'm just like, okay, so this is who you are. This is not constantly saying who I want my mom or my dad to be. This is who they are. And if this is who you are, cool, okay? So I know how, now that I know who you are and how you're going to be possibly, I know how I need to maneuver. So that means if I see you calling and I'm not necessarily having a bad day or or something like that, and I know what you're coming with, I may not answer the phone or I may answer the phone, but kind of, you know, have a small talk and get out the phone or in certain certain situations where I'm going to modify, modify my actions and my beliefs of you because of who you are and where you're going to be. I've had to realize that like maybe the type of person you view or you view a parent that, of a parent should be is not the type of person that your parent will ever be. So how but what you, you cope can with be, that? But what you can exactly. be when you have children, you have exactly. You so how do you cope with that right here, there, and now? You realize mm-hmm. that there are limitations, and you love a person from where you can love them, and you give them positive energy as much as you can, and you try your best to just be the example or be the light in their life, and that's it. Like you can't do anything additional 
you can't try to save them. You can't try to fix stuff no more. Like you just have to realize this is who they are. Okay, so I I know that maybe I could talk to you once a week or I can talk mm-hmm. to you twice a week, but I can't talk to you multiple times or I can't call you during this moment because I know at this moment I'm at high tensions and I know you will only raise those tensions. So, you know, yeah. certain things that you know with your parents, you just have to modify certain things and adjust shit and limit shit with boundaries so that you can be okay. Yes, boundaries. No, for real. Because some, some, um, I, it, it was this doctor that spoke, um, at Bethune Cookman a long time ago when we were in school. And one thing they said to me really stuck with me. Sometimes, or when you get to a certain point, you'll get to a certain point in your life if you don't have such a great relationship with your mom or your dad or both, set, or both your parents. Um, you'll hit a point in your life where, you don't feel like you need them. You you will want to right the wrong. You will want to fix things if it is possible, but you're going to hit a comfortable point within who you are where you don't need, you don't necessarily need it. And if you do feel like you need it, it's a closure. Some people have long accepted apology that they'll never get. And that's what it is. I get that. And you know when you don't feel like you need them, when you have become independent. Mm -hmm. If you're still in your parents' pockets, in your parents' house, you'll never get to that point. You'll never. And you're going to still feel like a child every goddamn day. Mm -hmm. So that's for y'all. Like If if you got issues with your parent, but you are dependent upon your parent, not saying that you're wrong for that, but just realize that the emotional shit that comes along with it, you probably will not be able to heal until you get to a point where you're self-sufficient. No, it, it took for me to be self-sufficient to realize Same. I don't necessarily need, need this relationship that much. I want it, but I could be fine without the frequency of the relationship. Mm-hmm. And my other sibling does not experience that because my other sibling is still kind of dependent upon the relationship or the person. So I'm not dependent upon it. Like I still can live my life and I'll be good without talking to my parent for months. Not saying I want that, but it's yeah. possible. But yeah. my other sibling can't. So you, if you want to get to that point of like... You, you know, have to release. You have to release. And that means releasing a lot. You can't be still in your parents' pockets talking about mm-hmm. <laughs> you want closure and stuff. <laughs> and you want them to do certain things. Like you still depend on them. So you still connect it to them. And another asset that binds you to them without you being able to release that energy. So, I don't know. You, you just got to figure that out. You got to <laughs> cut them ties. Because, honestly, yeah. I can honestly say that that's probably when the relationship with me and my mom um, started to get a lot better is when I did not, I no longer, no longer lived at the apartment. Or not the apartment, the house. Yeah, because you're not necessarily supposed to always live with your parents. It's, you just usually it's time. the worst experience. <laughs> <laughs> right Living and with your time heals all things if you yeah. see a person every day that you're beefing with or or you're not getting along or y'all are two totally different <laughs> people you're going to feel away and then when you leave each other and then and then maybe a few months go by or years go by and y'all regroup y'all will have a stronger bond that's just natural no matter yep. parent, no matter who yeah like that's true 
Wow, that was good. Like, okay. Very good. Very good. Great. That's cool. That's real cool. So we have now the five to nine. And um, I'm going to highlight another business of a creative that is um, basically working a, you know, regular job. And then from five to nine, they go to their passion project, project, their entrepreneurial businesses or whatever. And they, you know. Uh, flourish from there so the person I want to highlight here is called Beverly the Creatress so I've worked with Beverly in the past she is well in the uh, very recently and um, she is basically a design uh, and a fashion designer and creative director she has an emphasis on Afrofuturism street culture and Afropunk wear so if you like going to Afropunk or you're into some yes. type of stuff like that, she could definitely customize you an outfit. She's a seamstress, but she's she specifically is a designer. She's mm-hmm. based in Orlando, Florida, and she is really a great person. She can literally bring any vision that you want to life. So what I would like for you all to do is just basically go to on Instagram at Bev. So that is B-E-V-T-H-E. C-R-E-A-T-R-E-S-S, Bev the Creatress. So on her Instagram, she details some of her fashions and some of her projects. And she also has a link tree in her bio where you can find her pre- her uh, past works, her most recent works, and you can find out information to work with her. So that's once again, Bev the Creatress. Beverly is her, real, her full name. And I really, she's an amazing person. If you need anything fashion-wise, decor-wise, she is very creative and forward-thinking. So, yeah, definitely look towards her business to get any of those needs that you have in that area. Okay. Shout-out to Bev, the creatress. I love, um, like, Afrofuturism. Yes. I, I have it a lot. Girl, she actually – let me tell you one thing she made. She made a – um. She had this jacket. It was like this. I think it was a vest or a jacket. It was uh, red. And then on the, um, she had like this, it was basically a vagina, but it was like the vagina as the universe. So it was like Mm. this black hole. She had all these, she had the lights hooked up into it. So it looked like going into the universe. And you know how we have this thing of the womb is, you know, mm-hmm. all of that, blah, 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 blah. You know, if you know, you know. And it was like <laughs> that. So go, if you want to see what I'm talking about, definitely go to her Instagram because that was like my favorite piece she That's ever made. Fire. It was like something I'd never seen. Yeah. I, I love it. I love it. Shout out to her. Uh, so our Muse segment, Muse is an abbreviation for Music Universally Speaks Energy. Um, as we're going into the holidays, as far as Thanksgiving, uh, Christmas, I wanted to acknowledge that even though, um, the season can be joyful for some, especially people who, you know, have children or big families, uh, it's also a time that I call seasonal woes. Yeah. Seasonal woes is is toward the end of the year, you have the pressure of life in addition to the pressure of being a part of things, you know, not Thanksgiving, being a part of all these different holidays, 
um, when you're not at your full self. And mm. with certain, even certain elements that are going on, such as the weather, it's colder. Um, you're like we haven't. We live in Florida. We haven't been seeing much of the sun lately. Oh, it's it been very rainy. <laughs> It's been very, yes, it's been very rainy. It's been very dreary. And that can create a tone where you may not even want to go out the house. So this playlist is focused on pick me. I call it pick me up music. Um, Music that not even like, not that it's pick me up based off of like, um, like the upbeat tempo, but it's lyrics that are speaking into you. Um, positive affirmations and lyrics that are very relatable to the everyday struggles of what we as adults go through. Um, I think that this this will probably be one of my favorite ones. I can't wait to listen. (laughs) Yeah, because it's so is this one is more personal. Um, my other two have kind of been like introducing you to new artists this one does have artists that are not you know very common such as uh Oshun which I mean I know a lot of people that know that listen to Oshun but I'm also aware of people who are not and I love Mm -hmm. them they embody that um afro futurism especially when it comes to their cover art um and their um what do they call them? They don't call them music videos no more. What do they call them? Visuals. Visuals, mm-hmm. yes. And then um, there's also an artist that I love very much uh, by the name of Chelsea Reject that is from Brooklyn, hmm. New York. And she, um, if if you know Joey Badass, she was a part of that whole oh. uh, movement that Joey Badass had in the top of the decade with, um, it was called Pro Era. She was uh, one of the, one of the MCs, <laughs> um, <laughs> a part of that group, and she has branched out and created her own project this year. Uh, it was like around April of 2019 called This Is Not My Final Form, and it speaks very much into mental health, but speaking it, speaking into it more of a very uh, non-commercial way, because I know mental health is now like a buzzword for many uh, but it speaks on the expectations of wanting to not, you know, of growing up and you weren't really ready to grow up, you know, or being an adult and not and being an adult and not being sure of what you wanted to do with your life. And so now you're grown and you're just trying to figure it out. Um, the expectations of being an african-american household where you have you know your parents want you to do this but you want to follow your dreams so i mean that that whole project yeah i have but i only put one track for this song i mean for her um from that project because it's actually i'm i'm not even like bsing y'all this is actually a song i listen to every day because Mm -hmm. it it just speaks positive affirmations like for it's basically her saying like everything's going to be okay like literally she is saying that in the song that is the chorus of the song so I felt like this um, playlist was very needed considering the climate of what we're going through it's funny 
I know this off topic, but when we were younger, you know, we were in school. Not I'm not even talking about college. I'm talking about like elementary yeah. school. You know, oh, we about to get out of school. Um, if you lived oh, up north, amazing. possible snow days. You know, you were you were so happy and you were looking forward to you know these holidays because you were gonna get gifts from mommy and daddy and auntie and grandma. Capitalism, and, man. you know, fuck yes, us up with a capital C. <laughs> with a capital C. And then uh, you didn't have to go back into school and. So 2020, so you probably had like three weeks or four weeks to yourself. But as an adult, all of that goes away unless you work in the education system. Um, all of that really does go away. And you have to kind of create your own um, form of celebration based off of whatever you got going on financially, based off of your time. Do you have enough PTO? So, right. Sometimes it's just for some people it's just not it's just not a great time and that's what this playlist embodies. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Um feel free to, to tag us, you know, listen yeah, to us. Like stop being shy, yeah, y'all. Stop being shy. <laughs> you know, feel free to tag us. Um even on Twitter, use our hashtag WWB as in Bob B as in dog. And yeah. let us know. <laughs> and let us know. Tweet what us you with think. with topics or issues mm-hmm. that you have, you know, yeah. like what would a Bohemian do? If you want to act, if you want us to actually talk about something that you're interested in, mm-hmm. and you know would be actually like impactful for the fo- for the podcast, tweet us, and also let us know when you're listening to our uh, to the muse segment or to the muse playlist. Sorry, let us know all this stuff, and we we really want to talk. We don't want this to be a one sided conversation at all. We want to be speaking to y'all constantly. Okay, so yeah. Yes, but I mean that does wrap up this episode. Once again, yeah. um very humbled by everyone who has taken time out to listen to our podcast. Um I we don't take that lightly at all. <laughs> at all. So once again a big thank you to y'all and please feel free to follow our social medias. Um our Instagram is V T H E E Supreme Bohemes. And our Twitter is just Supreme Bohemes. That's it. Um, Our personal social media. Mine is Lavish Lori. Mine is uh, T on Instagram is Taesian underscore. So that's T-A-E-S-I-A-N underscore. And on Twitter is uh, capital Q-S-W-I-F for Queen Say What I Feel. So follow me. I, I prefer twitter because that's when i talk the most shit and you want to be present for that yeah yeah me too i actually do but i yeah but i carry some of my stuff and put it on my story on instagram yeah so you do you it's do, you equal do. talk shit it's pretty equal <laughs> but yeah thank y'all so much and we're gonna be out so bye y'all bye